everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I will not do a cartwheel because then I'll rip the cord and that won't be good. I won't do a flip either because then I'll rip the cord. But how are we doing today? We doing good? You guys having a good Sunday? You have a good, uh, we've had a couple weeks off from meeting with each other, right? Like last week we had Easter and there we go. It was just one week off from meeting with each other because we were in the main service. But great to be back. Uh, next week we will go back to our regular services where I'll be preaching in the middle school and Brian will be preaching in here. And then in a couple weeks, actually, we will be doing another Fuse service, right? Just a couple of weeks, but right now we're being fused here. And then next week we won't be, okay? Okay. So what we're going to do today, uh, we're going to be in First Peter. We're pretty much going to be talking about the whole chapter of the first chapter. We're pretty much going to be talking about the first chapter. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about hope, and yeah, I'm going to pray, or I'm going to read, and then I'll pray, and then a video is going to show up, and then afterwards we'll start. So starting in verse 3 of chapter 1 in First Peter, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, thank you for today. Thank you for letting us be together and to dive into the word, to talk about First Peter, talk about hope and the hope that we have in you. Lord, I pray as we continue on that you will use me, that I would be a vessel for you, Lord. Lord, that the words coming out of my mouth won't be my own, but would be yours, Lord. Lord, we thank you. Have your son's name. Amen. Now watch this video. Good movie. Have you guys ever seen that movie, Rogue One? 
No, well, I'm going to explain it to you. Well, that's awful. That's awful. So I'm going to explain it to you. So Rogue One, right? So Rogue One, that girl, her name is Jin Erso, right? Her father was the chief engineer who built the plans for the Death Star. The Death Star literally is a massive planet, massive weapon that can be used to destroy planets, right? Pretty, pretty powerful weapon. So her father is the one who created the Death Star. And now she's coming to the rebellion and telling the rebellion, hey, my father, he put in the schematics, he put in a way for the Death Star to be destroyed. And we see that in A New Hope, which this takes place right before A New Hope, which is the very first Star Wars movie that was ever created, right, where Luke comes and whatever, right? So what she's telling them, we need to go to this planet, Scarif, which houses the blueprints, houses the schematics for the Death Star. So we know where to actually fire our missiles so that the Death Star could be destroyed. And she's fighting with them. She's arguing with them. Like, we have to do this. Send your best troops. Like, no, what are you you talking about? Scarif is heavily guarded. It would be a suicide mission if we sent all of our best troops to Scarif to retrieve these things, right? So they're arguing, and they say, no, we, we can't do it. We can't. The rebellion lost hope, right? The rebellion, they lost hope that they could defeat the empire. And then she takes a ragtag team. They call themselves Rogue One, hence the name of the movie, Rogue One. They call themselves Rogue One. And then they travel the Scarif. They infiltrate it. And then, oh, big deal, cool, now we have hope. And now they send the entire army to Scarif to get these plans, even after they just argued, saying, no, we're not going to do that. And then they decided to go anyway. It's just a little confusing, but, I don't know, oops, it was a good movie. I thought it was really cool. It's one of my favorite Star Wars movies. Jeff said he thought the main character was pretty bland, pretty boring, and honestly, he was right. She was, she was pretty boring. She, she didn't really have any emotion or anything. But the rebellions, they lost hope. In 1 Peter, 1 Peter, or Peter, he is talking to Gentiles, or not Gentiles, he's talking to converts who were Gentiles before, who didn't believe in the Lord, and now they believe in the Lord. They are brand new converts. And these Gentiles, they are starting, or not these Gentiles, these new converts, sorry, they are starting to lose hope. They're starting to lose hope because they are facing trials. Maybe possibly saying things like, man, how can we follow Christ when we are suffering like this? How can we follow Christ when, when my friends won't even talk to me? How can we follow Christ when we are suffering like this? And Peter reminds them that their hope is not like any other hope. Their hope is not like, oh man, I hope the plans are on this planet. No, their hope is a living hope. It is a living hope that is based on the fact that because Jesus lives, we live. It is not some flippant response to suffering 
or an empty wish of occurrence, but rather it's the proper knowledge, once again, that because Jesus lives, so we live. Verse 6, Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Through historical context, we know or we can assume that the trials that they're facing aren't violent trials. It's not really martyrdom or them dying for what they believe in. No, it's, it's quite possible that it was similar trials to what we face today. Trials of being discriminated for your faith, being made fun of for your faith. Possibly you have friends who make fun of you for your faith, right? Maybe you shared your faith in school. Maybe you talk to your friend about God and you're like, what What are you talking about? How can you believe in this fairy tale? How can you believe in this? Or maybe you've even lost your best friend because of your relationship with Christ. I know I have lost friends because of my relationship with Christ. They, they just didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear the hope that Christ can give them. They didn't want to hear them. And for whatever reason, whenever I talked to them about it, they would just shut away, turn around, ignore me, and honestly be quite rude to me. All, all, all I'm trying to do is show them the love that Christ has shown me, but they're pretty much slapping me across the face, not literally, but yeah, mentally, sure, whatever. They're pretty much slapping me across the faith just because I'm trying to show them the love that Christ has for them. And honestly, these are real struggles, and these struggles, they hurt deeply. They're not, not to be taken lightly, right? They're not to be taken any less lightly than these violent persecution, this martyrdom. No, these are deep things, and they hurt deeply. You care for your friends deeply, and all you want to do is share with them and show them the love that Christ has for them. But they just turn away from you and they discriminate against you. In fact, maybe they even become like enemies to you, right? They make it their job to do everything apart from God just to spite you. I've seen many people walk away from the Lord because of this discrimination, because their friends made fun of them, because they couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle the persecution, right? These things are real, and these things hurt deeply. Now, should we give up on our friends? No. And honestly, how could we give up on them? We love them. They mean, they mean so much to us. They, they are our friends. We care for them. But sometimes it might get to the point where it causes you to sin, right? And when it gets to that point, You need to take a deep look and think about, man, maybe I need to step away from this. Maybe this isn't my fight. I've done all that I could, right? And you give it up to God, right? Because it's not you. It's not you that's going to save them, right? No, it's God who's going to save them. All you can do is keep talking to them and keep, keep praying for them. Sorry, this water bottle is incredibly difficult to drink out of. I need a new one. 
For the, for the middle schoolers, they, they know they've seen me get soaked with water because of this water bottle. But I will get a new one. Don't worry. Eventually. Eventually. Maybe, maybe when I get a raise. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Bruce is in here, so say hi to Bruce. All right. <laughs> All right. So this persecution, let's bring it back. This persecution that we receive, right? It can do one or two things, right? This persecution can either cause you to grow or it could cause you to grumble or grumble or complain, I guess is a, is a better word that, I don't know, all of you might know. I know I complain a lot. But 1 Peter 7, or 1 7, it says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the genuineness of our faith is tested when we encounter trials. Do you guys know how gold is purified? No? Good. Well, I'm going to tell you. So gold is purified by being melted. Literally melted. It's put in a furnace. It's put, put in this high heat resistant like stone, put in a furnace, and it's melted. And then all the impurities of that gold floats to the top. And literally what they do, they just skim off the top of it. They skim off the top, and then they keep melting it, keep skimming off the top. Then eventually you're left with pure gold. Not nothing. You're left with pure gold. Right? You see, our faith is being tested to be genuine. Right? When we are put through this fire, right, our impurities come up to the surface. Right? The sin that maybe is holding us back, it's come up to the surface and we're able to pinpoint and see, ah, okay. That's where I'm struggling with. That's what I need to do better. And that might not be our attitude in the moment. All right, uh, you're, obviously you're going through a trial. You might be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, that's, that's, that's the problem. That's, that's what it is. No, that's probably not what it's going to be like. But when we go through trials, our impurities are evident and we're able to see it, right? And putting us through this fire, it's not meant to destroy us, no. But it's meant to pull out that precious faith, that faith that is more precious than gold. And then when we grumble, we lose sight of what God is capable of doing, right? When we grumble, we lose sight of what God is capable of doing. We're, we lose heart at the growth that is, at, that is in us, right? We lose growth that God is working in us. When we grumble, we lose sight so we do our best to refrain from grumbling. And we refrain from grumbling for what it says in Philippians 2, 14 through 16. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So we refrain from grumbling, 
so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world so that we could be a light in the world. When we grumble, right, when we complain, right, we lose sight of what God is doing in our lives. So we refrain from it so we could be a light to those around us. And when we find that hope during trials, it leads to the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ. And we do this without, without ever seeing him, right? Last week, uh, Pastor Butch talked about Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? He talked about, he said, I will not believe that Christ has returned until I feel the holes in his hands or I put my hand through the hole in his side. Even though Christ was telling Thomas, saying, Thomas, I will be back. I will die and I will come back. Christ has told Thomas this, but Thomas still didn't believe. He still had to see it. But we believe without ever seeing him, without ever touching him, right? But we experience him. We have experienced him. We have seen what he has done in our lives. And we've seen what he has done in the lives of those around us. Right? See, our joy, it's not based on our current problems. It's not based on the trials that we are currently going through, but it's rather based on Christ and based on his glory. I'll say that again. Our joy is not based on the trials that we are currently going through, but our joy is based on Christ and his glory. For we have a hope that surpasses understanding. It's not a hope that, man, I hope it will be sunny tomorrow. Which, I, honestly, I didn't look at the weather report. I don't know if it's going to be sunny tomorrow. It might rain. But it's not a hope that hopes it will be sunny tomorrow. Or a hope that, man, I just, I hope, I hope they like me back. Or I hope that, man, I hope I get, I get an A on that next, that next test. No, it is a hope that surpasses understanding. It's a hope that rests in the revelation that God has shown us. Right? We have experienced his power. We have seen what he has done in our lives, and we have seen what he's done in the lives of those around us. Right? We have already seen the answer to what we are looking for because it is a living hope, because he lives. We have seen the answer. See, this passage is broken up into two separate parts. The first part, which we were just talking about, is great truths that we need to know and we need to be aware of. Now, the second part, we're going to read on from 13 to 21, right, is a practical application of the truths that Peter have, has been talking about. How we can put the hope that we have in Christ into action. Okay, so we're going to read even more, right, from 13 to 21. All right, starting in 13. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, 
do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. So coming back to verse 13, I'm gonna repeat 13. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know the truth, and you know what will happen. So why are we living as if we are ignorant? Why are we living as if we don't know the truth? We know he is coming back, right? Our grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We know he is coming back. Our hope will come to fruition. We will see our hope come to pass when we experience the revelation of Christ, right? Whether that be when we die or whether that be when he returns, we will experience the hope of Christ. And we will see this hope come to be true because it is told to us that it will be true. So as we experience these various trials, we can hold to what God will give us as a reward for a faithful commitment to him. So cool. Jacob, you're telling me to, as I'm going through this, as my friends are hating me, as my, I'm losing friends left and white, right for what I believe in, <laughs> you're telling me, just have hope. Just have hope. Cool. Sweet. Right? But how do we maintain this hope while living in this broken world? Right? It's through a healthy mind and a holy life. We, we are told this right there in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So through a healthy mind and a holy life. Preparing our minds for action. It's telling us, the, as I was researching this, one thing that came up constantly was girding up the loins of your mind. Do you guys know what that means, girding up the loins of your mind? No. Honestly, I, I had no idea what that meant. I've heard that used many times before, gird up your loins, be ready. I've heard it used many times before, but honestly, I never really knew what it was. So what it means is literally taking like a long robe, pulling it up, tying it around your waist so that you could run better. That's what girding up your loins meant. Preparing or taking the necessary actions, right? Preparing yourself for action, right? Pulling up your robe so that you could run faster. Preparing your minds for action. Taking the necessary steps 
to prepare your mind. Not just sitting idly by and letting things happen, but preparing yourselves through the reading and through the meditating of the word of God so that you can stand firm in your convictions and not be easily swayed. So through the reading and meditating of the word of God, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded. A holy life is seen in 1 Peter 14 to 15. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Reverend Kent Hughes puts it like this. He's a commentary that I use or that I read quite a lot. It says, when we live lives that are modeled on God's holy character, we demonstrate that we have internalized the call to set our hope on our eternal inheritance. Let me read that again because I think it's just so great. It is a, it's a great quote. It says, when we live lives that are modeled on God's holy character, we demonstrate that we have internalized the call to set our hope on our eternal inheritance. When we live our lives modeled off of who God is, we are exemplifying, showing that we have internalized the eternal inheritance that we have received from God, right? Holy means to be set apart, to be set apart from sin to God. See, before we came to an understanding of Christ, we were ignorant of our sins. We didn't know what we were doing was right and wrong, right? But now that we are followers of Christ, we are no longer ignorant. We know what's right and we know what is wrong. While it may not be possible for us to be completely sinless, we could definitely sin less, right? To live a life, a live a life that's called to set our hope in our internal inheritance. Now this is based through three motivations, three godly motivations. This is our, we're going to do these three godly motivations, and that's pretty much, we're going to wrap up after that. But this comes from three godly motivations, the holy life, right? It's based off of God's character. 15 to 16 says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So as we have been called to follow Christ, we have been called by Christ who is holy, so shall we be holy. He is our heavenly father, right? Just as we strive to be like, possibly strive to be like our, heaven, our, our earthly parents, our earthly fathers and mothers, we strive to be like our heavenly father. So our first motivation is based off of God's character. Our second motivation is from God's judgment. 17 says, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each, one, each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So if you call him father, you are obedient to him. Through fear of his judgment, not the judgment of heaven and hell, because we have an eternal inheritance, right? We already know where we are going. We already know that now we are Christians, we are going to heaven, right? No, but 
based off of his judgment of not wanting to disappoint him, right? For he will correct us, right? He will correct us for he loves us, right? So that we could be partakers in his holiness, right? We talked about before of uh, pulling out those impurities in the gold, right? Correcting us and showing us our wrongdoing so that we could live a holy life. A holy life that is in awe from his love and fear of his love, not fear of his torment. So our second motivation is God's judgment. Then our third motivation is from his sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice, 18 through 19. says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Right, the reflection of what Christ has done for us on the cross. He took up the wrath of God for us. The wrath of God. God's wrath from the sin that has been in the world, the sin that we have committed, the sin that I have committed, that you have committed, that Eric has committed, that Butch, Bruce, everyone who has ever existed has committed. He took up the wrath of God, the wrath from those sins for us. Right? He ransomed his blood that is more precious than gold or silver. It's like a lamb without blemish or spot. So our motivation is from Christ's sacrifice. And we long for the reward that comes from Christ. Right? He came down and died on the cross for our sins. He took on the wrath of God. Right? And our attitude towards God should give us confidence as we endure suffering for him. So how are we interacting with our hope? Are we letting it guide our lives? Are we letting our trials cloud the hope that we have of our eternal inheritance with Christ? So prepare your minds for the trials that will come. Meditate on what the word of God says. Be guided by the motivations of God's character, his judgment, and a sacrifice. So be an example of a life that is set apart from sin. For the world is broken and full of pain, but we have hope in the Lord, a hope that we can have confidence in. Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the hope that you have given us, this eternal inheritance that you have given us, Lord. Lord, I pray for these students as they go about into their lives, as they face these trials for their relationship with you. I pray that they will use it as an opportunity to grow. Not grumble and complain about it, but grow in you. They could see what they need to work on so that it could be evident to them. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And you have me son today. Amen.